Hey guys, George Messa here, Third Eye Edify podcast, with an episode that I think is a long time coming, could have easily been the first episode. It could have easily been something that we can look at in broad or otherwise terms in a lot of different directions. But some of the things I found were pretty surprising, and I hope that we can uh, enjoy these ideas together and maybe even start a full-on discussion because of it. It's a never-ending conversation. And there's so much to uh, the ideas presented that it's impossible for one episode. This could be 20 hours, easily. So <laughs> let's get to it, right? Like, subscribe, share. Find me on Rockfin. If you're watching somewhere else, you're not going to get everything I do. I almost considered separating this episode into two parts. One free, one exclusive to Rockfin. And um, I don't think I need to, but some things that are going to be coming up are too hot for TV, so to speak. And that's a great reason to get on over to one of the best platforms out there. And you may have noticed, this being episode 16, we had 15 last week. You may have noticed, if you're not on Rockfin, that episode 14 is not here it's not on any other channel it's exclusive to rockfin and i didn't think i could get away with it i'm not necessarily saying that being banned from youtube is a bad thing it's kind of a badge of honor at this point for content creators in my field anyway but i wanted to just avoid it altogether because i said some things that may not have gone well in their algorithms and there are algorithms trust me Having said all that, what are we here to talk about today? Metodo scientifico, in Italian, the scientific method. It's not the primary focus, but it led me down a path that I was already considering. And um, why don't we just at least start with the usual? What does it mean? What are the definitions associated with it? And what what are they claiming to be the impetus for these these things? What started the scientific method? You may recall in a previous episode, possibly episode four, I had mentioned that this that you can't call a starting point out to this. Cavemen looking at their fingernails, cavemen, if, if we take them as prescribed, fingernail maintenance is science storage looking at the sky this is science this has been going on since humankind existed whenever you think that is and the more we learn things as the thumbnail shows pseudoscience seems to be winning the hearts of many over science whatever you want to call the white lab coat version of science who's winning in your mind or are we finally coming back to things we already knew that were taken away from us? Do you think that the powers that should not be are keeping us away from using the scientific method? Keeping us away from being able to rationally look at things? To make our own deductions and to at least have a want to research from there? I always say they're taking us away from the natural world. And the more they get you to think what they want, the less you're using the scientific method. So what is it? What does the internet say scientific method is? It's an empirical method for acquiring knowledge that has characterized the development of science since at least the 17th century. More on that in a second. It involves careful observation, applying rigorous skepticism about what is observed given that cognitive assumptions can distort how one interprets the observation. A little later on, it goes on to say, the development of rules for scientific reasoning has not been straightforward. What's not straightforward is the information we get in the realm of a lot of different sciences, in my opinion. I'm a big proponent of the idea that things that are too humongous to comprehend that are still visible to the naked eye in the sky 
and things that are too small for us to ever be able to see germs, atoms. Things that haven't been proven are passed off as fact, laws, and that you don't need to look any further. We've got all the info. You just keep watching Netflix and everything's going to be just fine. And don't forget about sports, ladies and gentlemen. Always watch your sports now. So, 17th century, they're claiming that potentially the scientific method wasn't established until the 17th century, the 1600s. That is very, very recent. And I'd like anyone's opinion. Please leave a comment. Do you feel that that's even reasonable to to put down on paper? Is that even a reasonable thing to say? At least since the 17th century? Now, at least, of course, is their little disclaimer saying, yeah, it could be older. I assume they don't think truly that there's never been scientific method before then, but they're trying to say that the worked out six-step scientific method that we have now really didn't come into fruition until then. And wait till you see what I have to show you as far as what book, if you want to call it a book, is potentially the reason for this. Who's behind it? What was happening at that time? When was it? And what was the main focus of it? If you don't already know, a lot of it may surprise you. And I hope that it does. That's why I'm here, of course, at Third I Edify. So what is the six steps of the scientific method? I'm sure some of you already are well aware of this, but let's quickly get it out so we can discuss it and then use it for the rest of our discussion here. The rest of this presentation, we'll call it. So number one, observation and question. You see something, you question it, you want answers. Of course. Research the topic area. A sensible approach. This is completely lacking, I would say nowadays. The nature of news headlines proves it. People share news based on the headline before even reading the article. This happens very often. And sometimes there's a sarcastic nature to the title, and it's the complete opposite of what they're saying, and it's on purpose. It'll say, you know, so-and-so is a great leader. And then you read the article, and it's trying to tell you that they ain't a great leader, and they're trying to tell you why. A simple example, of course, but so on and so forth. Number three, hypothesis. Come up with your own hypothesis. Because the idea is you see something, you have an idea about it, now you want to prove it. Next, of course, is test with experiments. Something that maybe should have been done a little more thoroughly with our most recent mRNA vaccines. Perhaps, maybe, maybe not. A conversation for another day. Analyze the data and report your conclusions. Now, reporting the conclusions is the part where, you know, you, whether or not you're a scientist in the field, do you get to genuinely report conclusions? Maybe not. Maybe you notice that your door wasn't closing all the way because of the change in temperature and that you had to make a quick adjustment to it. You use the scientific method, you assessed it, you figured out the problem, you fixed the problem. Do you report your conclusions? You might be able to tell the rest of the household, hey, this door works now. I guess that's it. That's the reporting of the conclusion. So we really do the scientific method in full all the time. And it's not because of modern creature comforts or anything like that. We have always done the scientific method. I keep saying it. We're all scientists. We're all musicians. And we're all quite amazing, as a matter of fact. We might all be geniuses. If only we could put our minds to the right things in the right way. If only we had the time. If only we weren't working 60 plus hours a week. Wouldn't we have the time? I would think so. So... Um, having mentioned it, now showing it, we get a wonderful little circle because sometimes you got to start it right over again. The nature of science is that this is being repeatedly done over and over again by many different people with the same observation and question. Maybe a different hypothesis, maybe the same. But the bottom line is that we're supposed to scientifically get a number of ways to see something and hopefully come down to the best or most accurate choice or the one and only accurate choice. This is the nature of it all. This is what people have been frustrated about lately, I think. It seems like this isn't happening as much as it should be when people's lives are at stake. 
whether you believe in chemtrails or 5G or vaccine or whatever you want to call out fluoride and toothpaste and water, packaged foods. Walking into 7-Eleven and trying to find something healthy for yourself that's not just a packaged fruit. That idea. And I agree. I couldn't agree more. Anyway, keep these things in mind. We're going to be discussing what the history tells us really brought this into fruition. And it wasn't the 17th. It was earlier. Not much earlier. But it does have to do with somebody named Galileo, who I'm sure you have all heard of. Galileo Galilei. Or Galileo di Vincenzo Bonaiuto de, la, de Galilei. And he was born the same year as Shakespeare, by the way, 1564. This is February 15th, 1564. Now, soon, we're going to have to quickly get out of the way the old-style, nude-style dating system, as in Julian Gregorian calendar. We're going to have to get those things out of the way, but because that happened, the, the changes were happening, and there's some timing issues that lead to a whole slew of events that hopefully will be interesting for you to find out about if you did not know about them. And I don't think this is genuinely common knowledge. Generally, I should say. Um, Galileo is credited for really pushing the scientific method because of a book called The Assayer. A-S-S-A-Y-E-R. Now, before we talk about what it was, why don't we talk about what assay is? You may notice it sounds like essay, E-S-S-A-Y, which I'm sure you've all written some in the past for school or maybe just for fun. But uh, 1623, this was released. So yeah, maybe it is the 17th century, somebody born in the 16th. And again, this really, this is what they're crediting. They all credit this as really pushing forward the scientific method. Now, I have it. I can't really find it in a solid form, but I have this printout. And it does say abridged, the only translation I can find. Now, whether it's abridged or not, that's a damn shame. I'd like to have the whole thing, but as usual, I probably need to be able to read Italian, because this was written in Italian. The person who translated it may have translated the whole thing, but this particular one, the abridged version, I'm not sure if I have an even more truncated copy or not, because as you know with most... Um, books with most books of this nature research books there are footnotes one, two, three as you're reading we lose some I think it goes from one to three and then from four to eight or something it skips footnotes there's pieces of this missing I don't know what's missing there's a relative flow to it doesn't seem like what what is missing is noticeable but it's a translation this guy could have done whatever he wanted with this translation. I'm sure I got the meat of it by reading this. But it's only 26 or so pages. So keep that in mind, too. Um, so what is a say? An Italian il saggiatore. It is an examination or a testing. This is from the 1966 Webster's New World, which is the oldest physical dictionary I have. That will change. I'm sure I'll have more soon enough. But the other type of definition for an assayer is someone who tests the purity of ore and its nature, its proportions of ingredients, especially for gold and silver. So now we're starting to get closer to the topics I'm going to really broach here because gold and silver would be sun and moon. Now we're dealing with astrology. And as you already, I assume, do know, Galileo was one of our most revered, historically, one of our most revered astrologers, astronomer, whatever you want to call it. Typical polymath of the time. Um, so what is an essay really is related to the word essay. What is an essay? In Italian, tema or la prova, to prove. It could also mean theme, by the way. And the book certainly does have a theme. I lightly call it a book, maybe more of an essay. Honestly, an, an essay that he essayed. It's a weight or a weighing 
or to test the quality of something. Now, of course, there are other definitions that lead to, you know, writing an essay in school for a test or something like that. But it's the same idea. They ask you to weigh something against something else and describe it in essay format. So we all do know what this word really means at its root, essay. Keep that in mind. So why did he write this book? Who was it written to? What were the relationships? I think you'll find it very interesting. Well, here's an image of Galileo doing what he does best, or at least what he's best known for. He certainly was uh, apparently a very vocal person, and based on the nature of this book, I would agree with that 100%. Um, keep in mind that Galileo is the man who finally pushed the Copernican model to the forefront, even though he was condemned for it at the time. We're going to be dealing with three world systems for the rest of this conversation. One is geocentric, the most ancient, Earth in the middle. The next is heliocentric. We're going to call that the Copernican model. The geocentric can be called the Ptolemaic model, by the way. And the third one is going to be by Tycho Brahe, the Tychonian model, where the Earth is the center. The moon and the sun spin around that and all the other planets spin around the moon, orbit around the moon, I'm sorry. All of this will matter as we discuss more and more. Galileo was of the notion that we were supposed to mathematically deduce things, produce a theory, give me some math, that's nature. He said mathematics is the language of science, much like Neil deGrasse Tyson, said the same exact thing. Science, uh, math being the language of the universe. And it would take a lot more than a words on a page to prove that to me. He, Galileo, wanted to say that the book of nature is to be read with mathematical tools rather than those of scholastic philosophy, as generally held at the time. This is the quantitative versus qualitative. This is essentially theory over fact, in the end of the day. This math is not reality, whether it can be measured or not. The book of nature can become readable and comprehensible. In other words, nature can be worked down to math. The book of nature not being a book, but a concept that religion and science are married. Natural philosophy, in other words. And this is the nature of philosophical writings for centuries, millennia. From Plato all the way to Nietzsche. So definitely keep those things in mind, too. Now, I did mention he was condemned. We'll get to that. So who did he write the Assayer to? Not what it was about, but who he wrote it to. Because the very first words open this way. This is why I don't necessarily consider it a book, in quotes. I have never understood, Your Excellency, why it is that every one of the studies I have published in order to please or to serve other people has aroused in some men a certain perverse urge to detract, steal, or deprecate that modicum of merit which I thought I had earned, if not for my work, at least for its intention. He's discussing his book, Siderius Nuncius, what is often translated to starry messenger, but actually really means sidereal messenger. And I think we can quickly discuss sidereal versus tropical, but we will get to that in a moment, not time. He wrote this to Don Virginio Cesarini. This is who we're seeing on the screen right now. He was a well-connected figure, studied at Parma, which is an ancient Ottoman school in Italy. He was friendly with Federico Sessi, who was the patron of the Academia dei Lince, the Academy of the Lynx, pretty mystical and ancient animal, um, which I don't think was filmed until recently. Maybe it was in that movie, um, I guess it's a documentary, Planet Earth, the first one. I believe that was the first time they filmed a lynx. That could be wrong. They were the publishers of this book, by the way. 
the Academy of the Lynx. They published the Assayer. And the printing press wasn't too long before this, so it's definitely important to note who was publishing at that time. Printing press was 1440, and this was not even 200 years later. So the other person that was uh, friendly with Don Virginio Cesarini and with Galileo was Maffeo Barberini. And he's important because he was the future pope. He became Pope Urban VIII, the final urban in the line of popes. And we'll discuss his importance and his relationship to Galileo very soon. Cesarini requested this. He requested it of Galileo. He essentially said he has to do this to rebut the Jesuit Horacio Grassi, who 1618-19 had written a manual about similar concepts astrologically. Moons of Jupiter describing what occurred with comets. This is probably all sparked by the great comet of 1577. This may have kicked all of this off. Once that happened, everyone wanted to be an astrologer. It was an important time in the world. And seeing something like that can make a believer out of anyone who didn't think the sky was mysterious. So this guy, Orazio Grassi, wrote under the pseudonym Lotario Sarsi Sigansano. And um, I didn't see that last name, Sigansano, in the Assayer, but he quotes Sarsi throughout the entire tirade where he at length goes into detail as to why he should be credited with everything and this guy Sarsi should keep his mouth shut because he's working off ipse dixit, which is really, he said it himself. In other words, assumptions or plagiarism. He claimed plagiarism. That's the nature of this entire book. This entire book is him keeping his good name and making sure that he is seen in the right light when regarding his discoveries of the four main moons of Jupiter. They're known as the Galilean moons, actually. Uh, Io, Europa, Ganymede, and... Uh, I forgot the other one. Oh, Callisto. Sorry about that. Callisto. So who named them and who possibly discovered them first and who, which cosmological model he believed it's going to be a big part of all this. Galileo was was undoing the Copernican model. He wasn't helping. I'm so sorry. He was pushing the Copernican model. He was going against the Inquisition. He was going against the church, trying to retain geocentrism. He was going for heliocentrism. Now, why is this book credited as scientific method? It's credited with him saying that nature can be worked down to math and that the earth may actually be not the center of everything. It could have been miscalculation. It could have been a lot of things. But there's a lot of factors coming up that have some pretty big implications as to why he even had a say in this. A say. I <laughs> didn't mean that. Why did he? Why would he have such clout? Yeah, we know him now, but at the time, he was doing some big things. He apparently created a telescope. He's not the creator of it, but he made one based on ideas. And several people made them right around the same time. So, again, important stuff, really. This is a big, big, big moment in history. It, it's huge. So, like I said, um, this guy... Lotario Sarsi, the pseudonym that Orazio Grassi used, was claiming that comets were celestial bodies which appear to move beyond the moon. Galileo said he said this first. Grassi referenced some of Galileo's work without mentioning him, and this dispute turned into this book. Galileo claimed Grassi was merely based on ipse dixit, like I said, which was, you know, that's fair, but as far as scientific method goes, he doesn't do a ton of proving. He he writes this book, much like a movie sequel, assumes that you saw the first one and you know everything already. This book was written to a, a close friend of his. Almost like a, yeah, man, go get him. 
And it wasn't really a, whoa, man, you really are amazing. It wasn't really like that. It, this is my opinion, by the way. Go read it. The, the translation's readily available online as a PDF. Uh, the translation by, sorry, Stillman Drake. Spelled just like you think it is. And um, this book could have come out much sooner. We're dealing with this Oratio Grassi released in 1618 and 19 is when his plagiarisms came out. Now, Galileo is also going to accuse somebody else who may be even more important, Simon Mayer or Simon Marius. Keep in mind what I said in the previous episode, particularly episode 12, when you're looking for information, it's not always just one name. You have to look up either one of those names to find information on this guy. And he apparently was the one to discover these moons. So we'll get to that. That was, and that was um, 1609 and 1610. So this book is coming out almost 14 years later, the assayer. But he waited. Now why? He was, like I said, um, patronized f and befriended by Maffeo Barberini. This was going to be the Pope. When he became the Pope, 1623. Then Galileo thought, okay, now I've got the Pope on my side. I can release this without any retribution. Keep in mind that, and that didn't happen, by the way, at all. So keep in mind that, let's get a little look at the Pope here. Is Pope Urban VIII, Maffeo Barberini, who was a part of the Inquisition for the Galileo affair. Now in 1610, and keep in mind the dates are going to jump around with this. It's hard to put this in straight chronological order for it to make sense. So it's kind of a little Pulp Fiction action right now. The Galileo Affair, which began in 1610, saw Galileo under trial and condemnation by the Roman Catholic Inquisition because he was going against the geocentric model. He was going against Ptolemy and bringing Copernicus back to the light, who released his book not too long before any of this. The Copernican book that everyone should be aware of from 1543 on the revolutions of heavenly spheres. I have read this book. I read the whole damn thing. And there were no telescopes yet. Keep that in mind. This whole Moons of Jupiter thing that's going to come up in 1609-1610 with Simon Mayer and Galileo. Take notes. There's a lot of stuff happening. I know this. This is the beginning of the telescope. Everything before this was naked eye observations. They had tools. They had units that they were using. But no telescope. Keep that in mind. As I've said a million times already this episode. Here's an image of the Galileo affair. And the unfortunate part of all this, regardless of how Galileo is to be perceived or how you should feel about him, at least he was working towards something. There may have been people backing him up trying to get him in the wrong direction. But either way, he had a lot to say and he at least he made books. He has findable information. This is not always very common. That guy Simon Mayer, I can't find a translation of his book where he discovered the moons of Jupiter. I can't find that, where he named them. It's there. It's available in Latin, but I can't find it in English. And I think I did, but it's really, really expensive, and it's hiding inside of a long book that may have it in there, and I don't know who to ask. So I'll, I'll get to that, because I'm very curious to read the Simon Mayer book. He seems very important, and I've never heard of him until I started researching astrologers ancient astrologers that is so even though that Galileo affair began in 1610 and even though it wasn't until 1616 that the Roman Catholic Inquisition declared heliocentrism formally heretical they didn't want Copernicus's book out unless it was fixed in quotes it wasn't until 1633 that Galileo was sentenced to house arrest until his death in 1642. So for nine years, he was under house arrest. And it doesn't look like 
too much happened after that. I can imagine there was a period of deterioration for the man, regardless of where he's to be seen in the grand scheme of things, this grand history. And this is history we're discussing here. We're discussing someone who is generally credited with actually inventing the scientific method, even though that six hex, um, that six step circle I showed earlier is nowhere to be found. This not what this isn't a book that gives you the scientific method. It's just being credited for bringing the concept to light. And I, after reading it, I don't, I don't agree, but I'm also reading the abridged and possibly further truncated than that translation where I'm missing footnotes or I'm getting footnotes are being skipped because obviously things are being skipped. Maybe it's in there. You'd think that the translator would have put it in there. It's hard to say. It really is. Um, but anyway, he was he was put in house arrest eventually for trying to say that the sun was the center. Now, I don't think the sun is the center, but there are other methods that may prove something close to that. It's kind of like a mixed bag, the Tychonian model. It's kind of a mixed bag. It combines geocentrism with heliocentrism in some way. But it still has the fixed stars around us being a further distance than anything else. I can I can live with that for sure. So, and a quick uh, note, I didn't really flesh this out earlier, the idea of natural philosophy, um, philosophical study of physics, that is nature and the physical universe. Study of nature, in other words, dominant well before the development of modern science. And it's associated with romanticism, as a term I'm sure you've heard. The romantic music era is 19th century. So this is before that, and clearly it doesn't mean that they line up perfectly. Romantic music era with romanticism. But the natural world was believed to be one giant organism, not some machine that can be worked out with math and turned into, you know, hacks and bugs and neurochips and all this other stuff that I've discussed in length. Um, it's none of that stuff. So now we're relatively speaking getting up to where I want to talk about Simon Mayer a little more because this is the brunt of what really got this whole thing going, this whole episode. Galileo mentioned Simon Mayer briefly in the Assayer, the version that I have. The whole thing is about this guy Sarsi, who was really Orazio Grassi. But he mentions Mayer because Mayer took credit for finding and still actually is credited with naming the four, moon, the four main moons of Jupiter. Jovalis, Jovial, Jovial Jupiter. Uh, the book that Simon Mayer wrote is Mundus Jovalis, The Moons of Jupiter. So now writing a book doesn't mean that you, that's it, you, you, it's you. It doesn't mean that you were the one, but the timing does matter. And there's a very surprising result that I think some of you will be quite surprised about, as a matter of fact, with 20th century court cases proving things about this. 20th century from the 17th, from the early 17th, by the way. That's crazy. It's crazy. Um, there's uh, two trials to mention here, actually. Actually, there's three, perhaps. Do I have it? Let me see. Let me see. Mm, there is... We'll get to it. I don't want to say it yet. So we have to quickly, and once again, quickly get out of the way, is that we have this concept here. Sidereal and tropical. Sidereal seems more based in reality. The tropical is just going with the time frame they're giving you. Much like the idea of daylight savings time. But there was a transition from Julian to Gregorian in various European countries. Now, this is not the same exact thing. But this time change, this date change, it took a long time to settle. From 1582 all the way to 1923. There was the New Style Calendar Act of 1750 from Europe. Great Britain, Ireland, British Empire, much of Eastern USA and Canada all adopted Gregorian in 1752. I didn't know it was then. I thought it was a little earlier, actually. So how did they correct it? They corrected it by 11 days. So after Wednesday, September 2nd, 
1752. We jump. We skip from the 3rd all the way to the 14th, 11 days. So after September 2nd, 1752, the very next day, so we could get to the Gregorian calendar. Also, Julius, Augustus, Gregorian, these are all Roman ideas. We jump to Thursday, September 14th, 1752. Very interesting. And um, this is going to come up in a lot of other things. And it's often quite a debated thing. The sun and constellation, will we can talk about that another time. That's a whole different idea here. But good to get that out of the way. Because I want to make sure we do uh, thoroughly discuss how Galileo claims to have found the moons first. Versus this guy. Simon Mayer. Simon Marius. You'll notice in the top left, um, concentric circles, four stars being the four moons, and there's the sign for Jupiter. Kind of looks like a four next to the center dot there. And here he is in the usual Masonic-looking, tarot card-looking style. Nothing surprising here. But, uh, again, can't find this book. This guy, supposedly, discovered at the same time Galileo did, basically the same day, almost the same exact day, they each had their own um, telescopes to work with in different places. But, And uh, he lived from January 10th, 1573 to January 5th, 1625. Just missing that uh, birthday. And same thing with Galileo. He, like I said, was born February 15th, 1564, and he died January 8th, 1642. So again, right before his that birthday that he had coming up. It's a sad thing, you know, to die near your birthday. It's a very sad thing, I think. Um, so I should have finished. I'm so sorry. I should have finished my conversation about old style and new style dates, OS and NS. We changed, apparently... Because these 11 days that I mentioned, we changed because Easter drifted from reality. And they wanted to change the amount of time in a year from 365.25 days to 365.242 days. Now, drifting from reality, um, October, OCT being the prefix for eight, is our 10th month. December, deck is 10. It's the 12th month. We're already drifted from reality. Daylight savings takes us from reality. 10 months, 12 months. There are 13 moon cycles a year. We're supposed to have 13 moons, months. Everything's way off. And keep those things in mind, please. So back to this guy, Simon Mayer. It, it, there's a strange little push and pull on the internet where... Even the same site, like Wiki, has him as one of the first observers of the four largest moons of Jupiter. And publication of this led to um, accusations of plagiarism. Of course, Galileo is going to win. He put the sun in the center. This guy was working with the Tychonian model, where again, the sun and the moon orbit the Earth. All the planets orbit the sun during that. It would explain precession. Having this, the sun orbit while another orbits around it would create processions. So that is something to think about. I'm not saying anything's right, by the way. That's not what I'm here to do at all. I'm here to bring this information to you. An image of the Tychonian model. All of the yellow is what surrounds the sun. The blue circle, the light blue circle, has the moon and the sun surrounding the earth orbiting the earth and the fixed stars are all on the outside it's an interesting thought it all happened here Tycho Brahe's very own Uraniborg he was given the option to have to build a facility a beautiful place where he could be the astrologer he always wanted to be he did a lot before the telescope was invented and then he had telescope made for him. He had a printing press on site. Imagine that. 
It's an incredible thought. In all honesty, it's a pretty incredible thought. So, what about this mayor guy? Why should he even get any credit at all? He's not Galileo. He believed the Tychonian model. He's an idiot, right? But based on scientific method and based on these times now, we can see that maybe he did. Maybe he did. He was sent to study with Tycho Brahe, and he already adopted the model, but he may have only been with this guy, David Fabricius, who corresponded with Kepler. Kepler was Brahe's understudy and took over after him. And his stuff is quite well regarded as well. But he works on the Copernican model. He kind of just forgot all about what Tycho Brahe brought to him and then is now known for helping promote the sun in the center. He used music. He used lots of things that I appreciate. I read his book a while ago, Harmony of the um, Spheres. And I also wrote, uh, he also wrote, I also wrote, he also wrote a book, a little tiny book called The Six-Cornered Snowflake. You should, if anything, you should read that just to see how well-educated these people were. Most people couldn't dream of slapping that book together. The kinds of geometric shapes he clearly drew very well. The kinds of concepts he was discussing. He was questioning, why is every snowflake six sides? It's an incredible question. Why is the scientific method six steps? I don't know. Why are our initial scales known as hexachords in music? The gamut, musical gamut, was built of hexachords. There's a reason. So this guy Simon Mayer was no joke, by the way. He was the official translator for Euclid's Elements, the official German translator for Euclid's Elements, which is still essentially the most well-regarded book for that, for the ideas of math that we still use today, especially geometry, and uh, trigonometry, things like that. He saw the Galilean moons of Jupiter in November of 1609. Keep these dates in mind as I describe more. They both made their own telescope for this discovery, him and Galileo, by the way. Simon Mayer and Galileo. They made their own telescopes. So Galileo, it says December 1609 or January 1610. That's what I get. Right, and still got that push pull where there's a decidedly difficult thing to figure out. Um, it says one of the first observers on Wiki. Yet, in 1903, a jury of the Netherlands ruled Simon Marius the first to discover it. This was ruled in a court. Marius made the discovery, but he didn't notate it until December 29th, 1609. Julian, old style. At 11 days, because they cut the 11 days off, it's actually January 8th, 1610. One day after Galileo claimed it, Marius disagreed with the star's distances. He was under the impression, I believe, that if we can see these stars, they would have to be way bigger than we can ever imagine. Much bigger than we're told they are now, by the way. And maybe he was right. Who knows? He was against Copernicus. He was against Galileo. He wasn't supporting the heliocentric model. Maybe this is the main reason we don't know him. I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest bit. So the, the findings of this court is that Marius discovered it before he announced it. And he announced it one day after Galileo. That would sound like something to inspect and investigate in court, I'd say. The guy... Now, they weren't in the same spot. So, for him to even know that Galileo proclaimed it would be pretty crazy, I'd say. A carrier pigeon wouldn't do it, <laughs> and there was no cell phones. So, how did they come to the conclusion? I don't have the facts of the court trial. But it wasn't a trial, I guess. The jury... It was, they're saying a jury ruled so interesting that this is what happens now. It's crazy to me, really. Let me see if I have anything else to mention from this spot here, just for a moment. Um, right, Copernicus, formally heretical because he wanted the sun in the middle. I thought there was another court case that found something. Just why, you know, yet another Johannes in a long line of Johanneses, by the way. Johannes Kepler, Johannes Gutenberg, Johann Sebastian Bach. 
Johannes Brahms. There's always these Johannes people in Germany, philosophical, musical, and they write in Latin very often. So much in Latin. It's prob- probably a Germanized Latin, but crazy, you know? It's interesting to me that telescopes were invented. We see the moons of Jupiter. It's debatable what their motion is. It's debatable if we ourselves are in motion as we view these things. As comets pass by, is the Earth moving? I can still see this comet. The comets last for weeks. They don't go away. It's crazy. So that's got to prove something to somebody. But there was debate. And right around the same time, heliocentrism was deemed heretical. Books were being taken off their shelves, so to speak. It's a witch hunt. It's the same exact thing. Without witches, of course. There's so much more to mention here, of course. But... You know, where to go with this? Where to go is, this is not going to be the last episode on this. I have kicked off another, yet another research journey for myself. And I wonder what you guys think. I may have bounced around a little bit, but I hope you were able to follow most of that. Scientific method apparently comes into fruition because of Galileo. Galileo was sent to house arrest. Only realized much later that, oh, he, I guess he was right, even though I don't think he was. But he was just one of many trying to find answers. They all had different telescopes. I don't know if there was a standard to it. But they observed things. And through these observations, they came to conclusions. And they posted them. These are the methods of the scientific method. Don't tell me that the assayer pushed it forward or that 17th century is probably when it started coming out. Impossible. That, that's, not, that's not reality to me. And neither is math. Wikipedia claims that the Tychonian model is mathematically equivalent to Copernicus. They can say the crap like that all they want. I, I don't... Where's the proof? It's always just some quote. Marius may have been one of the first... Marius is the first. Now a jury says he was definitely the first. There's a lot of pushing and pulling going on with this kind of research. But sometimes you have to go right to the source and read the damn thing. Because after reading that Copernicus book, after reading the Assayer, I don't see where the notions they're supposed to be applauded for are coming from. Maybe at the time, it was a different story. But I also think that not nearly as many people would have seen it as nowadays. And it's there for you to go look at. And I suggest that you do. Go read The Assayer. It'll probably take you two hours if you bother to research one or two little things as you're reading it. It's not very long, this abridged version that's missing things. <laughs> so I, I think I want to leave it at this point. Witch hunting... And the idea of ostracizing people from society because of certain ideals where they're not free to speak or think is here also. Yes, freedom is not free. But if we are supposed to be free, show it to me. I probably wasn't even supposed to say a quarter of the things I said here without placing myself in a box and running away to a safe space like Rockfin to say I can say what I want now without worrying but I'm glad I, I got all this out here on this platform and many others because I'd like this particular episode to have as much reach as possible I think this is very important stuff and I think that not that I'm doing it 100% right but the approach that I'm taking is the approach of the scientific method I had, and I'm going to read it word for word on purpose, I had an observation and a question about the nature of the scientific method, its origins, and the assayer, especially. I researched it. I've been researching it, but I went especially hard in the paint this week. I had a hypothesis about how right Galileo may have been, 
right or wrong, whatever you want to call it. I had a hypothesis about Simon Mayer being shown to be wrong, even though he was first and Galileo was wrong in this book that is supposed to be this great book that started the scientific method. I tested it out with experiments. Well, I had ne- not necessarily, but I certainly put things next to each other to see how they lined up, to see what the overall consensus was. It's the best I can do with that. I analyzed everything I had, and I'm reporting my conclusions in video format in this presentation. I would say that's generally speaking as scientific method as I can do on a show like this in this format. Because I'm essentially making a mini documentary every week, I guess, in a certain way. A live documentary, we'll call it, because I'm just going. I'm not just reading word for word everything, of course. But um, I hope that you learned something today. I hope that you found some new information out. And I hope it inspired you to check out some of this stuff. Because it does affect our daily lives. There's more space footage than ever. And it still doesn't look very good. So when the HD stuff starts coming out, when they show us passing through the atmosphere, I will be a little more satisfied. And until then, we're just going to have to hold our breath, as we often do. Remember that the idea of a witch hunt can exist in many forms. And just because you're potentially a victim of it doesn't mean you're wrong. I don't think many people now think that that whole period of time was a very good thing. For lots of reasons. The stigma I was trying to get rid of in episode 12 was the idea of what a witch is. Because that stigma is has not gone away and it's back in full force in my opinion. It's very unfortunate. Plenty more uh, of that for sure to come. And plenty more to come on this show. Once again, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Please find me on Rockfin. Like, subscribe. There is so much there. So much to find. So many great content creators that are exclusive to the channel or have tons of exclusive content. And some really big names. And more to come, I'm sure. Thanks again. I'll see you guys real soon.